The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 205 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by wellness rock star, Dr. Damien Christophe. In today's episode, we explore the truth about supplements, the supplement industry, and your health. You will learn all about the $100 billion per year industry, the lack of regulations in the West, how to spot greenwashing, what, if any, essential supplements there are, and so much more. Hello, Damo, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Steph. It's so great to be back with you on this wonderful podcast you're doing. It's wonderful. Good work. Thank you. I'm looking forward to today's topic. I wanted to um, just start, you know, we've obviously had our own conversation about this exact topic and the documentary Vitamania was aired in um, mid-2018. And I think it's really been quite interesting to definitely spark a conversation and make us a lot more aware of what our choices are in regards to vitamin supplements um, and also the industry as a whole. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing mm-hmm. with um, this with you today. Yeah, me too, Steph. It's, a, it's interesting because as a naturopath, um, you know, I, I want to do everything as naturally as I possibly can. As a chiropractor, I've got a philosophy around healthcare. And as a nutritionist, I'm really, you know, mindful of people getting access to the right amount of nutrients and nutrition from not only their food, but from their lifestyle and if required, um, supplementation where required. But it's, it is a really interesting uh, and fascinating situation that we find ourselves in these days where there's a plethora of different types of vitamins and minerals on the market and in the marketplace um, that either have little to no research, um, have never been tested, or have been extensively tested with loads of research um, and other you know, products and companies are piggybacking off that research, or in fact may not be very natural at all, could in fact come from you know, byproducts of the of the chemical industry. So it's, it's a fascinating little thing to look at and to consider while we um, 
dive deep into supplementation and, and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. One of the most, um, I guess, constant surprises that I can, cannot seem to understand is, you know, there's actually not this requirement that all supplements are tested for safety or efficacy. And that just blows my mind that I honestly think a lot of people aren't aware of because of the statements that are printed all over the labels and the websites and the marketing campaign of certain companies, you know, we're led to believe that X has been proven to do Y, but it's actually rarely the case. Well, that's very true. And I think, well, it must have been more than a decade ago now that, uh, in fact, it's probably 15 years ago that Pan Pharmaceuticals was manufacturing two products. One was very dangerous um, and one I think is actually, was also, it is still dangerous, but is still is actually back on the market, a product called Stillnox. And mm. they're manufacturing these um, these pharmaceuticals, uh, but at the same time were responsible for manufacturing about 80% of all of Australia's nutraceuticals. And um, and so Pan got shut down, and then the TGA was given extra power, and and as a result of that, it felt like the industry had had a big clean up, and we were now having much more stringent um, policing of natural medicines and nutritional supplementation, all those sorts of things. But I too, Steph, was surprised to find out that all that's required is to have a TGA approved facility for manufacturing then of course storage but not necessarily do we need to have um you know research to prove that a particular supplement works or that the ingredients within the supplement are in fact or indeed um efficacious which really surprised me because i thought that what we had access to in australia was far more far more rigorously tested and and scrutinized than anywhere else in the world that's what i thought but I, yeah I yeah, definitely. Well, obviously, it's the FDA in, in the US that is mentioned in the film or in the particular documentary. But yeah, unfortunately, it's not dissimilar in countries like Australia. And I think I believe that um, Canada and the UK are quite similar in that regard. And um, yeah, like obviously in, in your little world and in my little world, we are suggesting or um, prescribing supplements from particular companies that have, you know, a huge focus on research. And that's, you know, a really different conversation to the 85,000 vitamin products and dietary supplements that are currently on the market and many of which that are now sold on supermarket shelves. And, you know, the companies obviously aren't having to do the research to prove the product and the consumers are, I guess, suffering as a result because of the way claims can be made. Well, the claims are kind of dubious too, to some extent. So you might see may enhance the immune system <laughs> or... Um, you know, ingredients such as blah, blah, blah have been shown to, you know, in, increase X, Y, Z. And so there's often um, long bows drawn and the assumption that if something worked in the past, it's going to work in this particular formula. Um, so I look for formulas that have been, you know, researched. I look for formulas that have got some um, evidence behind them. But I think it's also important to understand that not all things are created equal. We see that in the case of magnesium. The amount of people that are, you know, using magnesium and supplementing magnesium, rubbing magnesium on their body, bathing in magnesium, floating in magnesium. <laughs> to me, it sounds amazing that we could all still be deficient in magnesium to the extent that some people are actually supplementing with it. But at the same time, 
Um, there's a lot to be said for the type of magnesium that people are using, you know, as to its absorption and then, of course, its bioavailability. So, you know, I, I've always been uh, told, you know, obviously by supplement companies that a bisglycinate or a diglycinate form, in other words, a, a, an amino acid bonded magnesium is better absorbed than other types. Say, so for example, an, oxal, uh, an oxide version, mm. which, you know, been shown to pull water through the intestines. But then, you know, only recently, I'd say it'd be about three months ago, I had a patient come into my practice and she said, oh, I've been taking magnesium oxide. I said, oh my gosh, how are your bowels going? And she goes, oh no, my bowels are really good, um, you know, since I've been taking the magnesium oxide. I said, oh, does that mean that they're moving easier? She said, oh no, just, uh, I feel fine, but it just doesn't appear to be, um, you know, working that well. And so I explained that oxide draws water through the colon um, or, or with it. And so it has the potential to loosen the stool. She said, that, that, that isn't what I've noticed, but I, I didn't notice that I was getting less cramps. And so I found that was fascinating that she was recommended by a health food store. Actually, I don't know if it was a health food store or if it was a pharmacy, but it definitely wasn't a practitioner to take oxide um, as the preferred source of magnesium. So there's confusing information out there as well for the punter. Oh, I find that fascinating as well because I remember the, you know, the old school store-bought laxatives that used to be probably at the health food store that, that I worked at during my postgrad, and that was pure magnesium oxide. You know, it's got that really offensive chalky taste, and, yeah, it goes straight through you. That's what it's designed to do. So I can't see how you'd be getting much magnesium in the body where it's required, but, um, yeah, I guess it is about being more educated to understand that in many cases there are a number of different forms and I think, you know, it goes back to what you mentioned earlier in terms of claims. Yeah, we can have the word natural and it can still contain synthetic ingredients. So there's no regulations for that in at least, you know, the Australia to, to be quite specific to our country. And, and it's the same in the US, Canada and the UK. And that's mind blowing because, you know, that term is so attractive to us and to consumers who are trying to look after themselves and eat naturally and and I guess make a decision on what supplement would be best to choose off a shelf and it doesn't mean a thing it's quite it's quite really I guess concerning it is a bit isn't it it is a bit now just I mean to put everyone's minds at ease there is a <laughs> lot of research out there about the safety and the efficacy of natural medicines don't get us wrong um, in fact, Professor Mark Cohen just has released a book on natural medicines um, in the industry, in the, in the health industry, and he's gathered like so much research. It's, it's unbelievable, um, but, you know, to do with the safety and the efficacy of, of different supplements that we've got in the Australian marketplace. So we are in a safe place, but it's very important that you, you, you expect to get what you pay for. Now, if you, mm. if you go to Midas, you expect to get a muffler. If you go to a discount pharmacy, you could expect to get something that's discounted. Uh, if you go to a health practitioner, you're more likely to be getting access to practitioner-only products, which are, in most cases, better in terms of their formulations and more rigorously scrutinized and tested than ones that kind of don't need to jump through those sorts of hoops. So you might get a magnesium down the road. I'm just saying, I'm using magnesium again as an example. You might get a magnesium down the road for, let's say, $12 for 60 tablets. But you, we would have to expect that wouldn't work as well as another magnesium that might be, say, $40 for 60 tablets, just based on the type of magnesium that's being used. And, you know, we've got to compare apples with apples and you're looking at 
the price comparison as being a good indicator of the quality of a supplement. That doesn't mean to say that just because a supplement's expensive that it's going to be good. It's that if you're going to get it from a practitioner, it's more likely to be a better quality supplement than the the, the cheaper, uh, more affordable brands that might be using um, maybe a less bioavailable form or a cheaper version of that nutrient um, in that supplement. So just be mindful of where you do get it from. Yeah, I totally agree. And the quality issue is something that we really, you know, want to encourage you to consider because magnesium is just one example. Um, Then there are others like the omega-3s or the fish oils where, you know, we know that there's a, a huge area within the supplement industry um, and the differences between the products are definitely night and day based on things like the sustainability of the sourcing, the um, transportation, the obviously encapsulation to hold the integrity of that omega-3 and the list goes on. So yeah, similar example, like I wouldn't be buying fish oil when it's um, $12.95 for 400 caps. <laughs> no, no, me neither. Me neither. In fact, I prefer not to buy capsules official either. I just prefer to get the liquid. That's that's the way I like to do it. But I think also it's important to look at the different types of regulations that we've got in Australia. So Australia uses the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and there's an overarching um, association called CMA, um, Complementary Medicines Australia, and they uh, work you know, very closely with the TGA to ensure that the types of supplements that hit in the marketplace are efficacious and safe. So we've got, I suppose, a two-pronged approach there. In America, they have something called the FDA, and the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration, and they're charged with um, claims, essentially, not necessarily the standard of manufacturing, although I think they do oversee some of that. Um, They are charged with uh, the claims that can be made. So what often happens, and we see this uh, online, you see it on Facebook, and you would have seen it too, Steph, that certain um, supplements ha- have been given you know, claims that then at the bottom of it says this statement hasn't been approved or, um, or considered by the FDA. Uh, we accept no responsibility, basically, something like that. You know? And so they're, they're saying, look, we're saying this, but this hasn't been verified by the FDA, so we can't really say it. But we're saying it, and our little out is that the FDA hasn't said, yes, we can say that. So, you know, take it or leave it, whatever you want. So that's kind of what those manufacturers are saying. Fortunately, we don't have that problem with Australian manufactured products. The stuff that you get from overseas could, in fact, have those sorts of claims. And in in some cases, some of the supplements that you, you can buy from overseas do not actually contain what the label actually says it contains. Mm. So you've got to be really careful of that when you're buying supplements from overseas. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think that we're very lucky in Australia in regards to, like you said, what has happened with the TGA. It's not perfect, but it's come a long way. And um, the fact that, you know, what is in, (laughs) what's on the label is going to be in the actual product, especially when we're looking at that quality side and, and where you choose to purchase your supplements from. So, yeah, it's fascinating. What do you think about the conversation around um, that we should be able to get everything we need from our food? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Like, it'd be <laughs> really good. It'd be really good. I mean, the reality is, and we've known this for, it must be 30 or 40 years now, I reckon, Steph, probably way before you were born. There's reports <laughs> that came out that said um, that the soil quality 
in both Australia and the United States and in other countries around the world, the, the quality of it has degraded over time. The fact that we continue to reuse the same land over and over and over again without really remineralizing. Um, in other words, we, we don't get much flooding off the mountains. We don't get um, like a nutrient bath that goes over the soil. So much of the mineral content of the soil has been degraded over time. And so really all we need to do now is to, is to get the plant to germinate. In other words, we need um, what they call um, NPK or um, what do they call that? Superphosphate. And so nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. And so they, they throw that into the soil. That'll get the seed to germinate. And then water is what's required. And I suppose in Australia, water is our biggest issue. We don't have a whole lot of water. But all that's required really is the NPK gets it going and then the water will you know, keep it going and then the plant will take its form. However, the quality of the plant is largely determined by the uh, minerals that are in the soil. And then the vitamins um, in the plant are there based on what the plants are able to actually make. Now, vitamins generally, unless they're, they're um, fat-soluble, if they're water-soluble, will degrade over time. So B vitamins will degrade over time. We'll see vitamin C will degrade over time. Um, and, and it's important to understand that if we're you know, ingesting plants in, in order to get our vitamins, if they're not that fresh, in other words, if they've been picked for a number of weeks and kept in cold storage for the supermarkets or wherever you're getting it from, could be Marley Spoon, I don't know. I, I get Marley Spoon, but I don't know how fresh that stuff is. Um, we, we, you know, we might not be getting the most nutrient-dense food. In, in fact, we definitely know that the, the mineral content is less than what it used to be. And yeah. we have to assume that the vitamin content is less too. So we can't really say that we can get it all from food. We'll get some from food, but we won't get it all from food. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that's an important consideration because, yes, in an ideal world, you'd start with obviously food first. So, you know, if there is um, a magnesium deficiency, if there is an iron deficiency, then hopefully your practitioner is talking to you about, yes, you know, dietary sources, food choices, um, gut health for absorption and, and, you know, the foundations, so to speak. But there's many cases where, yeah, we do need that extra support and, by starting with those foundations and making sure that you've got the ability to absorb that supplement and it's a higher quality form, then I think that's the perfect picture. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But in the case of not being able to get access to, um, you know, highly nutrient rich food sources, that's I suppose where we need to look for, you know, supplementation um, that's going to support a healthy diet. So I think it's really important still to have a healthy diet because there's other things that we get from a full plant that we don't get from a vitamin supplement. One of those things is energy. We get energy from a full plant. Yeah. Um, we don't get energy from a supplement. Um, you know, it's just not possible. You might feel like you've got more energy when you take a B vitamin, but you don't get energy from the supplement. It's that the B vitamin helps your body manufacture more energy and it supports adrenal function. Whereas a plant actually gives you energy. You know, if you look at what a seed can do, if you put a seed on some cotton wool and give it some water and some sunlight, the seed will grow. And that in itself is energy that you get to harness in your body and you feel better by eating that energy. But if you get a supplement, um, if you've got all the supplements that would, you would otherwise normally find in that plant, the fact that the supplement has been manufactured, it's got binding agents, it has no life force in it. If you put that supplement on some cotton wool, give it a bit of water and some sunlight, nothing's going to grow from that supplement. In other words, you've got a 
you know, a dense, nutrient-rich pill that contains information that, that the body can use to behave in a particular way, as opposed to what you might get from a full plant that would give you, uh, you know, more than just information. It actually gives you energy. So I, I like to, you know, use the full plant analogy and then the idea that full plants and full foods, whether it be, um, you know, animals that died recently or there be plants that have been harvested, you know, recently or oils that have been extracted recently, those ingredients or those food items will provide so much more sustenance to our body than food items that have been preserved or kept for a long period of time. And the difference that can be seen there is, is what you might find with, say, tinned tuna versus fresh tuna. There's a very big difference with the way you'd feel eating fresh tuna versus tinned tuna. And, and the, the same would be said for anything else that's been you know, stored for a long time, whether it be dried vegetables or frozen vegetables. The degradation of the plant or of the product continues to take place over time. Um, however, uh, you know, it, it, the flavor might remain the same, but the degradation still continues to, to occur regardless of the way in which it's stored. Yeah, really good point. And that's obviously what our priority needs to be. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on um, multivitamins, though, because we know that I think there's a, a, about a billion people worldwide that are taking supplements. And I hear a lot of people especially those that come into the clinic at the natural nutritionist that are taking a multivitamin and often it's from one of the more sort of commercial supermarket bought brands. What are your thoughts on multivitamins? Well, look, it's, again, it's one of those things. I think that the, if we look at where, you know, the, the little documentary that you and I both watched uh, called Vitamania and that was on SBS, that highlighted that vitamins actually come from chemical industries where they found what a B vitamin's made of, and so then they synthesize and they manufacture the B vitamin um, out of a chemical lab, basically. And so it kind of seems freaky to me that we would, you know, we would do that and and hope that that would be a really good thing for our body. And the other thing is too, Steph, we don't actually know long term if it is a good thing for our body, but I do think that we do need to have some kind of multivitamin or multimineral or both going into our body just to supplement. Um, our already healthy diet just because of the, the nutrient insufficiency that you know, exists in our food sources these days. So I'm, I'm kind of conflicted a little bit there, Steph, and maybe you can help me sort this one out. But I like the whole food versions of supplements. I really mm. like them. And so, you know, there's some, there's some that are out there. I've used Juice Plus in the past. There's others that I've used in, in the past as well. And, and I just wonder whether or not, I'm doing better doing something like that or if I'm doing better, you know, getting a multi-mineral, multivitamin that's, you know, been synthesized from the chemical industry. I'm not too sure. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I like the idea of looking for a food-based version of it, whether it might be a, you know, a powder or a liquid. Again, we're looking for something that's less synthetic and we know those capsules obviously look nothing like how that um, – vitamin or mineral initiated or originated and there's a lot in that capsule or or in that um, tablet that isn't actually part of the um, beneficial component like there's obviously flavorings and and thickening agents and binders and all those sorts of other ingredients that have been created by the supplement industry as a delivery mechanism um, but yeah, I, I think there's definitely a place for things like a, maybe a, a good quality greens powder or something that does act like a quote unquote superfood, even though that word's unfortunately being destroyed, they essentially can offer yeah. you the, the vitamins and minerals that can top up, you know, maybe a smoothie or something that you're then using it in a food based version as well. 
Mm-hmm. That's a nice approach. That's a good approach. But I think, I mean, going back to the question that you asked me about a multivitamin and a multimineral, how do you, what's your feeling around? I mean, I've got them in my practice. I take a multivitamin, multimineral from time to time. I don't take it every single day, but I take it from time to time. Um, but this, you know, this particular episode or this, this documentary kind of maybe question it, but just kind of think about it a bit more and, and so I'm a little bit lost there. What's, what's your feeling around it, Steph? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I personally don't prescribe a standard multivitamin very often. You know, we would do all of our sort of prescriptions largely based off blood test results. So if someone's looking at a number of areas that, that do need to be optimised, that, that might be an option, but it's probably not the common scenario that I would see. I mean, I'm personally, um, I see a lot of, um, prenatal clients, so naturally we'll be talking about what prenatals they might need, whether it's in a sort of a more standard prenatal form or we're building our own based on their own uh, requirements. So there definitely are some clients um, that could benefit from that. But I guess it's not my it's not my usual default. I tend to look for things like the um, the uh, yes, the, the powders or the superfoods that we can add to a meal. I like to try and integrate things into a recipe or into a meal plan as well because the thing is about supplements, yeah, like you can spend the $100 billion a year that we're spending worldwide, but they're no good if they go out of date in the pantry. And a lot of people, I do think, they tend to start quite gung-ho and um, either maybe take one bottle with the assumption that's all they need, <laughs> which I find quite interesting, or they get to the point where it falls away as a habit and it doesn't obviously tend to do any good that way. So from a behavioural standpoint, I tend to try and set things up throughout the day in food and then give them some other strategies for those that um, those supplements they might be taking in a more short-term scenario, whether it is in a capsule or preferably liquid or powdered form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. So I think really what we're saying here is that Food essentially should be your primary source of vitamins. Uh, from a mineral perspective, where we've got minerally depleted soils, mm-hmm. um, would you be looking there probably at a, at a mineral type supplement then, Steph, would you think maybe a powder or, or a liquid that could top up your mineral status? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great idea. I think, um, again, there's lots of amazing products on the market that we can use that can go into, yeah, that typical smoothie. I keep coming back to smoothies, but they're a great way to sneak everything in without it being like a lot of people think also like if they're taking magnesium powder, they drink one glass of magnesium powder. If they're doing vitamin C, they do another glass and it becomes quite a bit of a project, you know, too much homework again, which um, tends to, again, fall away when things get busy. So, yeah, I think that's definitely an option that we could look at. Um, but again, it would come back to quality and just making mm-hmm. sure that you are following, um, you know, recommended advice on how much to take. Like a lot of people, I think, can assume that more is better. And that's not always mm-hmm. the case. And we see that definitely with fat soluble vitamins, especially A, D, E, and K. Yeah. Um, and you might have some, yes. you know, some personal experience there. Have you seen anything? Um, I know there was a really fascinating example in the documentary, but have you had any personal experience with people getting a little bit too gung ho with certain supplements or, or pills? <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, I haven't, which has mm. been great. But I'm aware of people, you know, taking at times, you know, 30 or 40 different tablets at a yeah. time in a, in a day. Um, and that's horrendous. You know, that, that actually frightens me and scares me no end. In fact, one of, a, a really lovely lady that I used to see in Tarogan must be 20 odd years ago. I don't know if she's still with us. I hope she is. 
uh, Fran, she uh, came to see me and originally I think she was taking nearly 60 different tablets a day oh, yeah. um, and she got that from different health food stores, different practitioners, including an integrative GP and so everyone was kind of involved in her healthcare and they just kept feeding her tablets and my first thing that I wanted to do was to get her off all of those tablets to mm. find a way which I could, you know, get food first. I think that's really important. I think the other thing is too that the word natural and, you know, natural medicine or naturopathy or nutrition, those sorts of things kind of implies safety. Like it, it just implies that it's safe because it's natural. But what can heal get harm? And that's a really interesting thing to, you know, just consider is that even though we might think that it's safe, even though we might we know that it's natural, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's without harm. Uh, particularly if we use it poorly. And the understanding that we've got these days in and around uh, vitamin toxicity, in particular vitamins A, D, E and K, like you mentioned before, Steph, uh, it, it's pretty robust. We, we know that certain nutrients will uh, cause massive dysfunction within the body if you mm. consume too much of them. So, you know, I've been at times been known to do mega dosing of things like, say, vitamin D, but I might use, say, 5,000 international units per day as opposed to, say, what some people might be doing is, say, 50,000 or 100,000. Yeah. yeah. And that can be very dangerous. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't look at 5,000 as being doubled uh, mega dosing, but like a standard no. GP who's advising everyone um, with a low blood reading, that sort of very typical 1,000 IU, which often does nothing. <laughs> um, mm, that's right. Yeah, I think 5,000, definitely in in country, or in cities like Melbourne where it's, it's dark for a good proportion of the year and we are seeing that whole seasonal change and seasonal affective disorder as a result. But, yeah, yeah. I've seen... Um, yeah, 50,000 IU capsules on iHerb. And um, it worries me that people would be taking that all the time. And I think, yeah, what we need to consider is that, you know, things like B vitamins and vitamin C, they're water-soluble, so your body will eliminate the excess quite easily. It's a waste to do that, but it's rarely dangerous, whereas Mm. our fat-soluble vitamins, yeah, they build up in the fat tissues and in the liver and yeah, I think toxic levels are, um, I wouldn't say it's common, but I've definitely seen people where their vitamin D does start to get too high. Um, mm. And, you know, our reference range differs to a standard path lab. But, um, yeah, again, more is not more. So it's something that I encourage my clients to test a couple of times a year because it's going to be so different between winter and summer. And, and your dosage will probably change as a result. And it's really important to, to be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Going back to that uh, that documentary that we, mm. and I know we don't want to talk only about the documentary, but there's some undertones within the documentary that I didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. And one okay. was that um, there's different rules. You know, it, it appeared to be that um, in the documentary, and, and I will ask these questions um, of Drew Herriot when I interview him on The Wellness mm. Guys, but what I, what I found fascinating was that it appeared that there was more rigorous testing of the ingredients and more rigorous safety um, associated with pharmaceutical drugs than with um, nutraceuticals. Mm-hmm. And I resent that. I really do. I, it, it really gives me the irritants because there's more people that die in the world from correctly prescribed medicines um, taken at the right time for the right reason um, by qualified physicians and GPs and specialists and so on and so forth. There's more people that die from that stuff 
than you could ever, ever, ever imagine dying in a hundred years from nutraceuticals and vitamins. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it concerns me that um, there's an implication pharmaceuticals are a safer option and that they're prescribed by medically trained individuals and therefore that makes them safe because that's not true. Um, but in the same breath, it's also important for us to recognise that the safety standards for pharmaceutical drugs are about the same as the safety standards for vitamins and minerals. They're held to a similar sort of account. In fact, the TGA, the FDA and, and, and all the other organisations are held to the same level of, of accountability. There's, there's no difference. The manufacturing facilities are the same places. So, you know, we've got to keep that in mind. Um, so where we might say that the, the shoe doesn't fit for nutrients, well, if that's the case, then the shoe doesn't fit for, for uh, pharmaceutical ingredients either. So we've got to be very mindful of that. And we've just recently seen um, with the, the situation with medical marijuana coming into Australia for legalisation um, because of opioid abuse, Opioids kill more people. Like the correctly narcotic versions, like heroin. So heroin kills less people than um, the correctly prescribed opioids that uh, cause addiction from mainstream medicine. So mm. put them in the same bundle to some extent, but use more caution with pharmaceutical drugs because they're way more dangerous. Um, but choose your supplements wisely is what we're saying. Yeah, I agree. And with pharmaceuticals, like rarely are they te tested in combination. Yeah, so. You, it's rare to find someone who's just taking one pharmaceutical. Sadly, it does end up being quite often a cascade of adding more, whether it's for new conditions or side effects. And find me a study that's tested the combination of A and B and C. And I think that's what we're forgetting when it comes to the sum total, you know, one pharmaceutical being, being tested is fine. I appreciate that. But there's so many other factors and additions with the lifespan of the person that need to be factored into consideration and and yeah it can be really dangerous if we're not looking at the combination of of both pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals mm, yeah oh, absolutely uh, there was a great book actually written um, by a man spiro sindos um probably 18 15 18 years ago uh, he's a homeopath based in doncaster and he uh, he looked at the interactions between nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals this is a Great book. I don't know if it's actually around anymore, but it was a, a really great book. But um, there has been some, um, you know, discussion about it. It's you don't find vitamins and drugs, um, you know, often put into the same sort of uh, tests, primarily because of you know funding and and where money comes from in terms of the way in which you know the government makes decisions around who gets money. Like the National Health and Medical Research Council uh, delivers finance um, in areas that will support. The government it's not it's not that independent and it's pretty easy to see that we see that actually in some of the reports that are coming out now but i, I think the mims which is uh put out by uh pharmaceutical it could be the guild i think puts out mims i, I don't know who puts out mims but that talks of the, the um the side effects and implication or the interactions you know nutraceutical and pharmaceutical um, interactions that can actually take place but it's not it's not hugely and easily you know you know, widely available. You've, you've mm. got to search hard for it. It's just not a Google search. You've got to really look hard for it. Yeah, fascinating, but definitely something I want people to be aware of. 
um, especially if you are being prescribed multiple pharmaceuticals, that it's really important to get some information and just make sure that you're empowered with what, um, yeah, what the combination might do and if there are any side effects that you need to be aware of before they start to occur. <laughs> so I want to know from you, Damo. Um, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, are there any supplements that you like that you love or that you tend to find yourself prioritizing more? I know it's going to be really individual, but just as sort of a general rule. Uh, look, Steph, I take fish oil and probiotics. That's pretty much all I take. I do, as I said before, I take a multivitamin from time to time, and every now and then mm. I'll take some herbs if required. So let's say, for example, I got a cold or whatever, or I, or I had a little immune challenge that was beyond a, uh, a nervous system involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, only then I would probably take some echinacea, I might take some andrographis, I'd probably mm-hmm. take some licorice, some alicampane, those sorts of herbs to you know really support my mucous membranes to, to get me going and to help my white blood cells. That's that's probably what I do. I do take vitamin C when I get sick, um, or if I get sick, I take some vitamin C. That I mean, that's been shown for such a long time to be hugely beneficial. And I know that some reports come out and say, oh, it doesn't really work. But I can tell you what, I feel much better with it as well. So I do take it. I do take zinc in that regard. So I take some vitamin C and zinc. Um, I use vitamin D. I really like the utilisation of vitamin D, particularly through winter periods when, you know, here in Melbourne we can't manufacture much vitamin D, um, you know, naturally uh, by being out in in the open environment or or the sun. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of dairy, so I'm not getting a whole lot of vitamin D from my diet in that regard. And I don't like eating cod liver oil, to be honest, cod liver, to be <laughs> honest with you. I don't really enjoy that, especially the fermented type, so I don't really go that way. But I, um, so I use that. They're probably the things that I do have. But my probiotics, I'm really particular about the types of probiotics that I take. I take them for specific reasons. I don't just take a multi-probiotic um, all the time. Um, I, I like to mix them up and, and have different strains of bacteria going in my body uh, at, at all times so everything from your, your standard you know food grade ones like you know lgg or bb12 you know where you might find those in in yogurts or cheeses um all the way through to you know saccharomyces for example that you know might assist my body in managing other types of parasitic infections and assist in bifidobacterium growth I, i'm looking for ways in which i can get my body to behave better rather than actually just supplementing the stuff um, to make my body better. I'm actually trying to make my body do things better. So that's the way in which I select my nutrients. Do you, I mean, Steph, the word is out. We know you're pregnant. Um, <laughs> are you taking any vitamins at the moment? What do you do? When you- well, it's been a really interesting experience for me, actually, because I've definitely been guilty, not, not of taking too much, but I guess I like to test things on myself before I prescribe a client. Um, and there have been times where I've definitely been taking more supplements than I probably needed at one time and we call it the supplement graveyard yeah it's where they go to expire and um a lot of people I think are in the same boat they could admit and when you're pregnant there's lots of things that you can't take yeah there's lots of herbs that aren't um proven from an efficacy point of view and I decided to use it as an opportunity to strip things right back so I'm taking a a practitioner only um, prenatal which I was taking for um, three months prior Um, I take nearly every day I take some magnesium and some vitamin C but just mix up that powder or those powders into the one glass Um, and I find for me personally, magnesium really does help me wind down at the end of the day. I'm getting, trying to keep my quality of sleep up while I still can. Um, 
and you know the usual sort of stress management and exercise recovery benefits that I love from a a mag. I've just always taken vitamin C and, you know, initially I think it would have started as immune support. Um, touch wood, I, I never get sick. And I know a lot of that comes down to, you know, obviously how much care I take of myself and the fact that I've been working on my gut health for many years now. Um, but I do love just that extra vitamin C to, again, supplement what we're probably not getting from our fruit and vegetables in, in this day and age. Um, and then I take occasional fish oil, depending on what I'm eating. I try to get oily fish in, um, but obviously we've got that whole conversation of how much is farmed in Australia and what we actually can mm, get access yeah. to. So I find myself, you know, trying to get sort of wild-caught sardines a couple of times a week. Um, when you're pregnant, you can really only eat sort of tuna twice a week. So there are a few limitations there from a dietary perspective that I've tended to have um, a few more fish oil supplements at this time in my life. Um, yeah. And yeah, all probiotics that I tend to be doing um, just in smaller doses from food and beverages at the moment. So yeah, not too much compared to the usual, but pretty foundational. I keep an eye no, on my it's vitamin good. It D. It sounds pretty wise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't personally need vitamin D right now, but um, it's something that I keep an eye on. And um, I'm finding I'm in general prescribing that a lot more these days because of what we've discussed around the world that we live in. But, you know, I'm also from Queensland and I see a lot of people that are deficient in vitamin D, not because of, you know, inadequate exposure, but because of the slip flop slap message that probably did go a little bit too far. Even when I was a child, like, don't get me wrong. We don't want you spending too much time in the sun and going anywhere near being burnt, but it's led a lot of people to be quite afraid of the sun and then they have really vi low vitamin D levels as a result and not just because they live in Victoria or somewhere similar. Well, that's a great point actually because, you know, we, we do know, we've seen this uh, replicated numerous times that certain types of cancers, including BCCs and SCCs and melanoma, they, they are often related to uh, low levels of vitamin D. Now, mm -hmm. it's not the only cause of these particular cancers. We know that. But what we've been trying to prevent is these things. But then the side effect, of course, of low levels of sunlight uh, is low levels of vitamin D. And, and that is what we would use to prevent um, some kind of invasion, you know, like the invasion of, say, a cancer. But, you know, so what, again, what can heal can harm. So we've got mm -hmm. to be mindful that, you know, whatever we decide to do will have an upstream and a downstream consequence. And so it's, it's good to be mindful of those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. And with vitamin C, like you know about it, yeah, it'll give you that sort of gastric discomfort. For some people, it'll go straight through them if they have too much. Even for some people, that happens on, um, you know, maybe 2,000 milligrams a day, which I wouldn't think as being a particularly high dose. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, again, that's why I get some really high-quality advice and where possible, you know, do some blood testing so you know how your body's responding to it and how things will change from things like seasons but also absorption. You know, the other thing we see is when clients address their gut and improve their absorption, suddenly pharmaceuticals included start to be absorbed more so they need less um, and they might not know about that unless they're testing. So that's another reason why I'm, I try and push people to get at least annual blood tests, if not twice a year. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And, you know, it, again, it comes down to your uh, ability to access 
a great quality general practitioner. And I'm saying that because there's some bullfeds out there. Um, just the same as there's some bullfed chiros, there's some bullfed mm. nutritionists, there's some bullfed osteos, bullfed physios. Don't get me wrong. Like every single industry has bullfeds. But the ones that uh, see themselves as all high and mighty and, you know, we're the gatekeepers to the health industry and we're, the, you know, we're your trusted, we're the only trusted advisors, you know, those sorts of people who don't want to work as part of a team and don't want to acknowledge that other practitioners and other therapies can be of assistance they're the bullfeds that you want to avoid they're the ones that people will go to um, expecting get to get a script and maybe a doctor's certificate that's not what we're hoping you would be going to you know spend time and money on find yourself a great gp work with a great nutritionist slash naturopath or both um, get yourself a great chiropractor they're the sorts of things that we're suggesting that you do and one of the greatest ways to find those people is through word of mouth and uh, and listen to what your friends are saying yeah, I agree. I think that's so powerful. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that our listeners um, have learned more about, you know, how there is definitely irrelevant for supplements, but there are some questions to ask and um, maybe some other people to get on your team or definitely just some things to be aware of to make sure that you're spending your money wisely, but that you're also really aware of what you need and, and, and how you might keep track of that over the months and years. Mm. Absolutely. I've loved it, Steph. It's a really interesting uh, topic and it continues to evolve. You know, just as you think you've, you've probably solved the problems of the nutrition world, something else comes out of it and makes you ask more questions. And so, you know, I appreciate the time that you give me to talk with you, Steph. I really love it and uh, I look forward to the next one. Thank you, Damo. So great to chat. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.